Thank you for tuning in to the finale episode of August 69. Two years ago, when we first considered covering these events on our series, we didn't feel this series would truly be worthwhile unless we could host a discussion regarding the first victim that night on August 8th, the one of whom so little is known, and consequently, the one who is most often overlooked by historians and the public at large as a curious footnote. I'm speaking, of course, of Stephen Parent. Stephen was 18. He had just graduated from high school. He was obsessed with electronics. He had met William Gerritsen, the caretaker at the Cielo Drive residence of Sharon Tate, in July of that year. On the evening of Friday, August 8th, he paid Gerritsen a visit to see if he wanted to buy a clock radio. Gerritsen declined. Stephen left Gerritsen's guest house and was pulling out of the residence as the killers were making their way in. He was stabbed and shot to death by Tex Watson after pleading for his life from the driver's seat of his car. He wasn't wealthy. He wasn't famous. The Hollywood Hills were not his usual stomping ground. He was simply at the wrong place at the wrong time. Give or take a few additional tidbits of information, this is all we've really ever known about Stephen Parent over these past five decades, until now. Stephen had a steady girlfriend, who was for all intents and purposes a constant companion for the better part of four years leading up to his murder. She has never before spoken publicly about her relationship with Stephen, and she was initially reluctant to take part in this interview. For that reason, we're only referring to her by her abbreviated first name, Tina. Were you born in California? Are you native Californian? Yes, I was born and raised in El Monte, California. My um, dad's side of the family we came to California in 1850. Great, great, great grandfather moved to uh, Southern California in the early 1880s, I believe it was. Wow, you guys go way back. <laughs> way back. <laughs> yeah, wow. El Monte is was such a small town. I was growing up that you couldn't, you couldn't get away with anything without my parents finding out. Was it a close-knit community? Fairly close, I think. Um, We did have our uh, Hispanic community, which had an area that actually lived on land that belonged to my family for years. In fact, their name is still on the the legal description for the property that that is with the Hispanic section. Um, Yeah, it was a a very small, I mean, very, very small town. Uh, my, My family owned a... A toy store, my aunt owned the toy store, my dad owned the hardware store, my uncle owned the plumbing store. The actual town of Almani, uh, when I was growing up, was only like six, I'm thinking six, seven blocks. A downtown was maybe six or seven blocks. And that was about it. I know it's changed quite a bit since I've been there. Not sure for the good or the bad, but it's changed quite a bit. My dad was very prominent in politics in the town. Oh, he, and, and what did he do? 
my dad was very, my dad was, uh, well, he ran for city council a few times. He was a reserve police officer, so all of the family's friends were police officers. In fact, that's how my dad met Steve. But Steve wanted to work on my dad's campaign. I mean, we knew who Steve was in church, but never really knew Steve until my dad ran for city council. And then my dad was eventually a planning commissioner. But he lost the election by just a few votes, so they, the booby prize was the <laughs> planning commissioner. So, so Steve wanted to volunteer for your father's campaign, and that's where you first met him. That's where I first met him. He volunteered for my dad's campaign. My dad, I'm, mm. my dad brought him home one night and said, uh, "He goes, you guys are the same age. You guys can work together on this." And I'm like, "Whatever, you know." I really had not planned <laughs> on working on my dad's campaign. <laughs> I'm like, "Dad, I'm a freshman in high school. I got better things to do with my life." <laughs> yeah. So Steve and I worked on my dad's campaign together. You know, all we all we know about about Stephen is um, the only thing that's really out there. He's 18 years old. He was the first victim, and he liked electronics. But, uh, but what can you tell me about his personality? Who, who you believe that that he was? Well, before I met Steve, I know he had had some minor run-ins with the police. You know, little kid stuff, basically. And my my parents were kind of, um, especially my dad, kind of, you know, let's see if we can help him out. And so I he had kind of a little bit of a reputation around um, church. But my dad's thing was, hey, that's in the past. You can put the past behind you and change. So that's what happened. He was just, uh, he went along with whatever I wanted. He, he was very uh, easily influenced, I guess. I could get him to do whatever I wanted him to do. No matter what I said, he'd been along with it up to a certain point. He enjoyed my, being around my family a lot. Electronics is a big, big thing, and he was always in the latest cutting edge of everything, and I would get bored with that because he'd like to talk about things like that. But, um, and he enjoyed working in politics. He's, just, he's very sweet, very kind to everybody. We dated off and on four years. Have fights, we'd break up. I'd go my own way. He, he was always like, "Well, you'll be back," and I go, "Probably, but you know." <laughs> but we did go to different high schools. Yeah, he went to he went to Arroyo, and 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 where did you go to high school? I went to Bishop Vermont. It was in La Puente. It was about twelve miles away. We didn't go to school together, but um, sometimes. Because I rode the bus home from my school, and it stopped at the, at the grandma school I went to, and sometimes he'd be over there just to say hi to me because he, now he got out of school at the same time, but because he was already in the town, he was uh, he could come over and just say hi to me. And when he started driving, sometimes he'd give me a ride home from the school, so I didn't have to walk. Oh, I remember too; he was also very active um, as much as he could be at the Knights of Columbus. He did a lot of activities over the Knights of Columbus, which is a Catholic men's organization. Did you get a sense from him of what he was wanting to do with his life at that time? He wanted to do something in electronics. Electronics was everything. I mean, he knew the latest of everything. I mean, he was, he was a lot like my brother who knew things about things that were coming out maybe five years before they actually were going to be on the market. You know, I can remember him saying, well, one of these days, they're going to be able to do, like, VCRs, 
yeah, you're going to be able to do this. I'm like, I'm you know, looking at them like, he's crazy. And what, less than four years later, they, they had VCRs. So I'm like, how do you know these things? But he was just he always worked at, He worked at the electronic store, didn't he? That, yes, he did. Um, he did in a senior year of high school. I don't know too much about if you read the book Helter Skelter, but it yes. talked about him working there. But it also talked about him having a different girlfriend, too, which kind of surprised the heck out of me and his family. Because we were pretty much together. Other than going to school and work, we were together. I remember one of the sweet things that he, really sweet things that he did is my, um, one of my very best friends did not have a date for my senior, our senior prom. She never dated. And I said, I told him, I said, I don't, I don't feel right about going and her not being able to go. We've been friends since kindergarten. He goes, I'll find her a date. And um, he did. He found her a date. And uh, we all we doubled for the prom. Mm. And that was very sweet that he would make the effort to find somebody who was willing to actually even pay to go to a prom with a girl he didn't even know, which I thought was so sweet of yeah. them. Yeah. And, uh, was that your seat? Was that your senior prom, or? Yeah, it was my senior prom. Actually, when his parents got his car back after everything, the senior prom pictures of my girlfriend and guy who took her were actually in Steve's car because I had given them to him a couple days beforehand. Said, "Hey, we just got these in the mail. Can you make sure?" I don't know what his name is. Gets his copies of, of the pictures. And uh, he just hadn't delivered them yet, so they were still in the car. So I, mm. I actually got those back. His parents gave them to me, and I gave them back to her. It sounded like you guys were pretty constant companions all through high school. Yeah. In the beginning, it was just like brother and sister, you know, just good friends. And, and I told him about other guys I was dating in the beginning, and he's like, okay. <laughs> Didn't realize he wanted something more. He wanted something more from day one. But I'm like, I'm a freshman in high school. I'm not settling down with any one person. I'm going to have a career. Uh, that was probably one of the biggest things that we squabbled about because he did not really want to go to college. He wanted to just get out and get his career after high school. And I kept saying, well, I'm going to college, and nothing's going to stop me from going to college. But back then... You know, girls didn't really go to college a whole lot. Mm. Um, my generation was just starting to be the ones that went to, went to went on to college. So he's going, well, you could stay home. You don't have to go. You have a good job. You don't have to go. And I'm like, yeah, I have to go. And that was one of the things you probably thought about the most was um, me wanting to go to college and him not. In fact, that's probably why we were not officially engaged. He'd asked me that summer a few weeks beforehand, and I said, Steve, until I finish college, I don't want to, you know, commit to anybody. I, I, need, I have four years of schooling ahead of me. I can't, I don't want to do this to somebody. You know, I don't, I want to be able to um, enjoy college. I was 17 at the time, and I, I did not see myself getting married at the age of 17 or 18. So oh, I I, complete, I completely understand. Yeah, um, 
uh, forgive me if I've got this if I've got the timeline wrong, but was he at all concerned about the draft? Um, you know what? I don't think we ever talked about it. <clears throat> I think it was kind of like if it happens, it happens. We had just graduated from high school in June. I don't know if there was even the lottery back then yet. Hmm. I can't remember when, when they started the lottery or not, but we never talked about it. I think it was more like, if you don't talk about it, it won't happen. Mm-hmm. I One thing I do remember about Steve is why we were just in the just friend stage. I did lose a friend that I was dating in Vietnam. He was killed in Vietnam. And Steve was pretty much the first person I called that I found out. And he was right there wow. for me to cry on his shoulder and all that. That was the friend stage. Mm. Who knew? <laughs> but I, yeah. I'm like, God, I, when I think back about some of the things that happened in my life, I'm like, oh, my God. I'm surprised as, I'm as sane as I am today. <laughs> <laughs> After losing my yeah. friend in Vietnam and then losing Steve less than two years later, uh, oh. it was... It was it was something else. Um, it was um, it was a strange time. We um, we did a lot of going to movies. Go, and we didn't go to the beach much because we were both very fair skinned and you know, sunburned, so we didn't do that much. But he worked a lot. He worked a lot. Um, mm. In high school, like our senior year, and things got to get, get more serious. I, w- I went to work at, right from school, basically. I, the school, my, actually, my school bus would drop me off where I worked at because it was on the route. And um, then I'd go home and he'd come over. I'd get off work at 6, and he'd probably be in my house by 6.30 and usually stay until like um, 9, 9.30, 10 o'clock at night, and then go home. And that was our, that was, during the week we really didn't go out. We'd studying and school was not a big thing to him so you know he kind of get tired of watching me study or and I gotta go to the library so we go to the library together and you know he'd get bored but he'd do whatever I wanted like I said I was he did whatever I wanted I I controlled everything a few weeks before this happened before he was killed we had actually been out for a drive one evening and we were up in that area we were just drove into Hollywood so we you know, walk around Hollywood Boulevard and everything and then uh so we thought, well, you know, we um I didn't have a curfew. So my dad found other ways to punish me if I stayed out late, he'd give me up super early. And I was just saying, I'm not gonna give you a curfew, but watch out, I'll know if you came in late, I'll get you up at you know, five in the morning. <laughs> you came in at three trust me. <laughs> <laughs> he was good at that. Yeah, so, but we were, like I said, we were driving around L.A. and up in Hollywood, and we actually got lost. And I said, Steve, do you, you know where we're at? He goes, I've never been up here before. And I said, I've never been up here before either. Uh, how do we get home? And he goes, I don't know. And we wound up going up, a lot of, up and down a lot of little side streets in that area. And I kept saying, are you sure you've never been here? He goes, no. And I'm like, oh, and I'm looking at the clock, and I'm like, okay. I may not have a curfew, but my dad's going to kill me when I get home. I'm not even going to get to go to bed by the time I get home. And um, 
he was very adamant he did not know anybody up here. And then later, that was one of the things I was asked when the police interviewed me, is, who did we know who lived up there? And I'm like, we knew nobody. So I don't know how many times after that he may have been up there. I did not know about him meeting the caretaker. I'm not sure why, because usually he told me everything. As far as I know, he told me everything. He's very, very close to one of the priests in our parish, our Father Robert Burns. I don't know if you ever heard about him. Yes, yes. If you, if Steve wasn't with me, as Mom told me later, well, if Steve's not with you, I knew he was with uh, Father Burns. And I go, yeah, that's that they were very, very, very close. There were times when we, the three of us would hang out and stuff even. They were uh, very close. And Father Burns was a fam- family friend of my family's. And um, I know he'd tell my parents how happy he was that Steve and I were together. You know, he was rooting for us. I don't so was, think was, 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 faith, was faith important to, to him or, or the church? I was just going to say that I don't know if that was the important part or if it's just the friendship he had with his father <clears throat> or if maybe he was trying to find his faith. I think a lot of him going to church was mainly because I went to church. So, you know, it was one of these, well, if she does it, I'm going to go. And mm-hmm. I'm not sure how he got to know him so well. Like I said, he went to public schools. Those of us who went to Catholic school, we saw Father Burns pretty much on a daily basis over at the school. And But I don't know. So I'm not sure how they got together. Maybe through the Knights of Columbus. Because uh, the Knights of Columbus had a fish fry every Friday night. But I'm not sure. But I just know that they had a really close friendship. I don't know. Well, and, and Father Burns, wasn't he the one that ultimately identified Stephen? Yes, he was the one who identified him. Uh, my father, who had worked for that mortuary, went over to the mortuary and um, actually saw Steve once he got brought back to the mortuary in our town and actually um, saw Steve. And uh, my dad was the one who said, well, you don't want to see him. You don't want to, want to see him. But he goes, I had to see him so that I could assure you it was him. You know, yeah. my dad, I had a phenomenal dad, and uh, he was just, just an amazing father. But, yeah, Steve, uh, Father Burns was the one who I did him. Um, my last memory of Steve was not pleasant at all. Uh, it cost me a lot of guilt. Even to this day, I have to remember it, and it's a hard thing that happened. As I said, I we just got out of high school, and I had a younger brother and sister. And um, my brother and sister have been begging me since I had a car. I had a station wagon. Um, my uncle was in Vietnam, so he let me use his car, his station wagon, while he was in Vietnam. And they've been begging me, could I please take them to the drive-in? And I kept saying, "Oh no, not tonight, not tonight. Please come over, please come over." So finally, I said. Tomorrow night, you guys, I'll take you. No matter what, I will take you. And um, my brother's best, my brother's best friend. Uh, he he was he and I had another cool friendship, very joking and everything. And Steve was jealous of this friendship, and I'd always say, "Oh, Tony, he's too young for me. Not a big deal." So Steve came over that night. It was, I believe, it was a Tuesday, a Wednesday night, I believe. 
And he said, let's go, let's go out. I said, no, I promised the kids I'll take them to the movies tonight. And he goes, no, I don't want you going. I said, no, I promised them. And he goes, well, I, I don't like you going out with, with Tony. I said, I'm not going out with Tony. I'm going out with my brother, Tony, my sister, Judy, and Tony's little brother. I said, they're just kids. And he goes, I don't want you to go. And he goes, and he, he, he got really mad and, you know, started screaming at me for some reason. I don't know what set him off. And I just said, I'm doing what I want. And then he, he called me a bitch. Nobody calls me a bitch. He gets away with it. And I turned around and slapped him, and I walked out the door. That's the last time I ever saw him. Oh. That was, you know, so that's, that's the last memory I have of me slapping him and walking out the door. So I didn't hear from him on Thursday. I thought, well, probably a good thing because we're both trying to cool off. Because I was still very angry. And then Friday, I had gone to the store. And actually, I remember very clearly I went to Sears with my, my brother and his couple of his friends again because they wanted to buy something. And I took him to the store, and at that time, Steve came over to apologize to me, pointing to my brother. <clears throat> and my brother goes, Steve, he goes, Tina is still really mad at you. I think you need to give her a couple more days because what you did was wrong. And like, Steve, you know, yeah, I know. But, you know, but then he goes, but you know what? You need to give Tina a couple more days to cool off because right now would not be the night to see her. And then apparently they hung out. They hung out for a while. Steve asked my brother if he wanted to go with me to sell some electronic equipment to somebody he had met recently, and they were going to go up to Beverly Hills. And my brother said, yeah, I'll go. And then he goes, well, wait a minute, Steve. I'm waiting for a phone call. I'm supposed to go deep sea fishing in the morning. I need to find out what time we're leaving. So then my brother got the phone call and said, oh, Steve, we're leaving really early. I'm not going to be able to go with you tonight. So um, Steve, Steve said, well, you know, tell Tina I came by and I'll talk to her later. And he left. I got home probably 10 minutes later and my brother said Steve was here. But um, I told him he was still pretty angry and uh, to give you a couple of days. And um, he said he'd give you a call later. And then, he, then my brother told me that he was supposed to go, but he goes, yeah, I, I didn't go because I'm going to have to get up early to see fishing. So, you know, I went on to bed, didn't think more about it. Um, I got up the next morning and went to work. I believe I got up work about 1 o'clock that Saturday. And uh, my my mother was in Costa Rica with my oldest sister, who had just given birth, and she lived down there. So my dad decided to take myself and my two younger siblings out for the day, just doing fun stuff. And this is what bothered me later, how this effect, how this, hearing on the news bothered me. I remember going, we were going to Seaport Village, and they started come, talking about this massacre in um, Beverly Hills, and uh, five bodies were found, and all the blood. And I, all day long, it just kept on me like, wow, that's really horrible. And I'm like, well, why is this bothering me? You hear about this kind of stuff all the time. Why is this bothering me so much? 
and it just did. And then the, that was Saturday. And I still didn't hear from Steve on Saturday night. I thought, okay, he's giving me a couple more days. I thought, I'll call him tomorrow and tell him it's all, everything's good. So then we went to church. And um, on Sunday morning, and they would always go, please pray for the dead of the parish. And they said, um, Stephen Parent. And I looked at my dad, and I said, no, that can't be right. And my dad goes, no, nah, no. Nah. So after Mass, he sent my brother back to talk to the priest. I can't remember if it was Father Burns or not. I don't think so. And then my very best friend, the one who got to the prom with me, she sold the newspapers after Mass to all the people who went to Mass. We've been doing it for years. And she came, I was standing there, she came up to me, and she goes, Tina, I'm so sorry to hear about Steve. She had, you know, she'd been looking at the newspaper and everything else. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And she goes, Steve's dead. And just then my brother comes up and whispers something to my dad. And then my dad goes, it, it is Steve. And I went, no, no. And then my girlfriend, uh, she says, and they're holding the caretaker for murder. And I said, hmm. and then she goes, uh, you know, William Garrison. Well, Steve's very best friend's name was William Garrison, who I had known since first grade. And I go, caretaker, William Garrison. I said, his parents don't have a caretaker. And I'm trying, you know, all these thoughts are going through my mind. I remember all this. And I'm like, what are you talking about? They're holding Billy? And she goes, no, William Garrettson. I said, wait a minute. Steve died in his car, right? He had a car accident, right? Where was this caretaker thing coming in? She's going, you don't know anything, do you? And I'm like, uh, no, I don't. What, what's going on? So then she told me what she read in the newspapers that day. She told me and my dad and everything. And we left church, so then we left, and my dad, we went out to breakfast, and my dad's trying, you know, he's calling the police department, local police department, because my dad was on the force, and um, his best friend was chief of police, actually would have been my legal guardian at one point if my parents had died or when we were younger, and he's not getting any information. So my dad goes, you know, let's go away for the day, just to kind of, I, I guess it was just to get my mind off of it, not that it did at that point. So we went away all day long, and we got home probably about 6 o'clock in the evening, and my dad called LAPD at this point and said, "You need. I think you guys want to talk to my daughter. My daughter was Steve's girlfriend. You, you may want to talk to her. And he, they go, yeah, okay. And they took my name and number, and that was it. The next day... His mom called me at church, at work, and um, she said, "You, uh, I know you know by now Steve's dead. I said, yes, I do. And I said, um, you know, because I kept going to work because I, I still, I don't think I wanted to accept it yet. I go, I want to come over there. And she goes, I'm not sure I want you here. I want you to come over here and face what we're facing right now. There's reporters everywhere. 
Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh. So then my, my other very best friend was on vacation in uh, New York, and she called me and she said, listen, I already called and talked to her boyfriend, Marty, and she said, Marty's going to pick you up from work, and he'll take you over to Steve's house. He will not leave your side. He'll be there as long as necessary. So then I called his mom back, and she said, well, when you get here, pull straight into the very back and come in the side door. Because like I said, there's reporters everywhere. So we got there, and, oh, reporters were everywhere. And um, we went in the house. We got in the house, and we were in there. And, you know, everybody's just sitting around. Younger brothers are out in the front yard playing. And his mom goes, they need to come in now. It's getting late. I said, well, I'll go get him. So I went out to the front yard, and immediately all I could hear was, that's her, that's the girlfriend, that's the girlfriend, get a picture, get a statement. And, you know, people are coming up to me, and I'm like, you know, just get away. That really turned me off about reporters. So I got his siblings inside with the house, and we sat and I went, oh, man. And so then my friend Marty goes, well, let's go home. So we left, and we started being followed by some reporters. So we zigzagged our way back home, and finally, you know, we got home. We lost the reporters because it was a town I grew up in. So we knew all the ins and outs. But then, of course, there was the, the same thing with the, the funeral and all that, and that was full of reporters and everything. Um, family had asked me to sit with them, with the family at the services, and I, I said, no, I wanted to stay with my dad. I sat with my dad, and uh, I remember somebody getting really upset with me about because I didn't wear black. Somebody in his family got really confronted me, and I said, you didn't, you didn't know Steve at all. And they go, what do you mean? I go, the last thing Steve would have wanted me in was black. He That was not Steve. Steve would have wanted bright colors. And his mom goes, she's right. Uh, she would have, he would have, would have preferred her in a brighter color than black. So I remember that. Yeah. So I was like, whoa. It was just some of the things. It's funny how some things you remember very clearly and some things kind of fade away. We still hadn't heard anything from the police. We had no idea who, what it was, what was going on. And then we had, I remember that we had the rosary one night and the next day was the funeral. I remember all the paparazzi or whatever at the cemetery. After that, you know, I we went back to his parents' house. And I, I was going over there pretty much every day for a while. And the first week, I mean, I, one other night I left their house and um, I was followed again. So this time I, I went uh, to my best friend's house and I called my dad. I said, Dad, I'm not coming home tonight. I said, I was followed again. I said, you know, can you bring me work close to work for tomorrow um, so I can change to go to work? I said, because I just, I don't want them to know where we live. And then we found out the reporters have been trying to get our address. But because of my dad's connection to the police department, it was all blocked. Three or four weeks later, I don't remember the timeline for sure. I was at his parents' house, and his mom goes, I need to show you a letter that he wrote to his grandmother two weeks before this happened. And I went, okay. She, he, she said, um, 
we just got in the mail from the grandmother. And it was a letter, type of letter that you would write somebody if you knew you were going to die, about how his life had, was so perfect then and how he'd met the perfect girlfriend and he was hoping to marry her. And um, we'd have little redheaded babies because we both redheads. And it was just a very moving letter. But I, I said, it just sounds like the kind of thing you would write if you knew you were dying about how, yeah. how your life would have been. And his mom goes, yeah, that's how I felt. She says, did he have a premonition? I said, I don't know. I don't know. And at that point, also at that point, I had still not been connected, uh, called by the police. I want to say it's probably like the third week of August, maybe. My, we had gone up to San Francisco for the weekend. And that's, the police actually went out to Almani PD and said they wanted to, what they could about me, I was a person of interest in a murder investigation. And they wanted to know if I had a record, anything else. And they got the, the chief of police took over. He heard them talking about this. and He said, um, listen, I've known her since all her life. Uh, no, she does not have any kind of a record. And they wanted to know where I was. If they, if he knew where I was. And he goes, yes, I know where she's at. And uh, I will let them know when... Uh, they get back in town to get hold of you. So they gave the uh, chief my phone number, their phone number. And um, when we got home, my dad tried calling us again. Still, no response. They didn't bother to come back. And then about, it was just before I started college, probably the week before college, it'd be the last week of August. I got a phone call could, uh, from LAPD. Could they come out and talk to me? And they came out to talk to me. And, um, yeah, I wasn't 18 yet, so they, my, one of my parents had to be in the room with me. And so finally I just told them, I said, listen, I'm going to be 18 in a couple of days. Get my mom out of here because my mom was just a pain. And, and there's some things I didn't, my mom didn't need to know. If they were asking questions like, what do we do on dates? How intimate were we? But was I positive we had never didn't know anybody up there? They talked to me for about an hour and a half, just going over and over. Um, basically, I I don't try to trip me up. How did Steve know this guy? Um, why wasn't I with them? Just this over and over and over, which I later then, which I learned later, was a technique. They finally left. We didn't hear anything else about it. The hard part was I started college the following week, and I um, was a criminal justice major. I'd already mm. studied on that before um, all this happened. That was one of the other uh, bones of contention between Steve and I because, you know, going into law enforcement is not for women, and it's dangerous, and, you know, he and my mom were in agreement on that one. So that was rough. And the studying school was very rough because, Pretty much every one of my criminal justice courses centered around this murder and the investigations, and it was being brought up every day uh, in class. So I had to finally go to my instructors, and I told them, I said, how the, that I was part of this. Oh, and actually, I forgot about this part. We had to do a background questionnaire before we could get into the program. And have you, the question was, have you ever been 
interviewed regarding a major crime. And I, but yes. And so then, you know, then we started class. My background had not come back yet. So um, I told my instructors, I said, I just want you to know there might be times where I might have to get up and walk out of class because I can't handle it because I this affected me. And I, I told them the story and they went, oh, okay. After this all happened, I did not sleep alone for probably a good month to six weeks. Somebody else had to be in the room with me in my bedroom. And I had to have a light on. And then finally, I got to where I could sleep in the room alone. But probably for another two months, I still slept with the light on. Every time I heard a noise outside, now I had an upstairs bedroom. But every time I heard a footstep that night, at night it would sound like footsteps, I would um, panic and, you know, wake up and that didn't sleep for me for the night. What my biggest thing was is the police had his wallet, which we didn't know. They just said, his parents had asked for his wallet back, and they said, no, you, you know, we don't have it. We did not know they had it. But my thing was, okay, if his wallet's gone with my address in there, mm-hmm. that was the biggest thing I kept telling my dad. I, I think they might have our address. I'm, but, of course, looking back, I'm thinking, why would he have my address? He knew where I lived. But, you know, the things that go through your mind seeing all of this. Sure. And. And then I remember, I think it was, I think it was in December, is when they first broke open the case. And um, I was going to, I was, and I remember um, coming home from school, getting ready to go to work, and my mom says, uh, "You might want to sit down." And I go, "What?" And she goes, "Well, they've arrested people." I was like. Really? And he goes, she goes, yeah. And then, of course, I immediately, you know, had to go to the, the newspaper and um, read it and all that. And then uh, I used to actually kept, for the longest time, I kept a scrapbook of everything. But uh, eventually I thought, as long as I have a scrapbook, I'm not going to move on with my life. I'm just too obsessed with it. Now, the interesting thing um, is one of my classmates happened to be an Almonte police officer. And he told me I was the one who notified these parents that he knew about my involvement. He said, mm-hmm. and it's, this is what he says, I feel horrible about the way it happened. I said, why? And he goes, well, I was given a card with the, um, they gave me a card and he says, they told me to go over to his family's house and give this to them and tell them to call this number. He said, so I did. He said, I did not I did not flip the card over. I didn't look at it. All I had was this phone number. He said, and when I got over there, I told the family, I said, um, I'm here about your son, Stephen. You need to call this number to get more information. And he says, and then as I handed them the card, I realized I knew that number. And, but at that point, his dad had already called it, and they answered L.A. County Coroner's Office. And he goes, had I known, I would have handled that so much differently. He says, I, that, he says that's bothered me for a while. He says, I should have handled that differently, but I didn't. Now, his mother told me later the things that I didn't know about from the time he was murdered till I saw her again on Sunday. Apparently... 
Steve had come home from work on Friday for lunch and then told his mom and daddy, his mom, well, I'm going out. I'm not going to be here for dinner. And then he didn't come home Friday night. Well, they were angry, but they also had told him, said, well, you know what? He thinks he's so independent he can be on his own. And they were really angry with him for not coming home. And they said, wait till he gets home or we're going to, you know, lay down the law. He's going to be 18. He's going to, you know, he's going to have to either follow some rules or he be out and we're going to kick him out. So he didn't come home all day Saturday, not knowing that he was dead. And then Saturday evening, his dad goes, why don't we go over and get some dinner over the nights of Columbus Hall, just, just a few blocks from where they live. So they had his sister who I want to say was probably 15, maybe years old, and um, babysit the younger siblings. And she said, um, they said, we'll be back in a couple hours. Well, while they were at dinner, some reporters came and knocked on their door. She let them in. Uh, Janet let them in. And um, to this, I don't know why she let them come all the way in the house. I don't know. Back then, I don't think everybody's quite as protective as they are now. And they immediately, they said, well, we had a report that your brother's car was stolen. You know, is this where Steve's parent lives? And she's going, yeah. And then they saw my high school prom picture sitting on top of a TV or something. And they go, oh, is this your brother Steve? And she said, yes, that's Steve and his girlfriend at the prom. And they took photos of that picture. And then all of a sudden, something clicked, and she goes, something's not right here. So she called the nicest Columbus Hall and asked for them to get his, her dad on the phone, and she told him, Dad, you need to come home. There's some reporters here. There's something going on. Something's not right. They said Steve's car's been stolen. So he and his wife came right home. I don't know if they talked to the reporters that they had left by that point, but it was shortly thereafter they, the, the, LAP, the El Monte PD officer showed up at the door, and that's when they called the, the coroner's office. Their immediate thing after all this was they called Father Byrne. Mm-hmm. Father Byrne wasn't in because Father Byrne had the premonition that something had happened to Steve. He was already on his way down to coroner's office. He just knew something had happened to him. So he was mm-hmm. already on his way there. So the way they learned about this is pretty horrible. Um, yeah, it was you know, not the not the way it was portrayed in the book. Health is Shelter. Not a a lot of stuff. Um, his mom and I talked about this later because in the book Health is Shelter, it talks about this other girlfriend that Steve had and how he spent all this time with her. And his mom and I laughed and said, "I said, hey, if he had another girlfriend, he could find time for another girlfriend besides all the time he spent with me. More power to him, because I don't know how he did it. Because <laughs> he was with me until night bedtime every night." I did not go to any of the trials. I did not, you know, I, I just had not, couldn't do, handle it anymore. I didn't think too much about it until the book came out. I mean, I, I always thought about it, you know, August is always a rough month for me just because yeah. of this. Um, I, a lot of my friends from high school, I kind of lost touch with them because they didn't understand my grief. I missed a couple weddings that happened right after this because I was not 
in a uh, position to go to a wedding. In fact, one of them I just talked, one of the girls I just talked to last week, for the first time, because I missed her wedding. And she called me last week. And um, it was kind of nice. My ex-husband, he was um, a deputy sheriff in L.A. When I told him the story and everything, he goes, you know, when I was working at the jail, Charles Manson was one of our inmates before the big murder. He was in, he says, I don't remember what he was in for. He goes, but even then, the deputies were scared to death of him. Nobody would move him by themselves. They always had at least two to three deputies moving him. He said something about his eyes was so piercing. He said it was, he said it was a very, he was a very scary person just to talk to him, mm. to look at him. Um, so that was kind of, you know, interesting. Even back then, he was kind of scary. You, you said earlier that you, for a time, you kept a scrapbook, but then you, you thought to yourself, I need to move on. How long did it take you to finally find the strength to move on? Probably about four or five years. I mean, I, I, was, I got rid of it just before I got married. I got married in 73. And I actually, I threw it away as I was packing to get married. You know, as I was moving into, into my husband's house. And I'm like, okay, do I take this? and keep this memory with me or do I finally just get rid of it? And so I did get rid of it. Um, and I, I actually thought I had put a lot of it behind me until, um, I'll never forget it. It was 1977. <laughs> I was at, um, the mall in, uh, Arcadia, California. I was walking through a bookstore. I was, I so I had my daughter with me. She was only a couple months old. I passed the bookstore and the Health of Skelter was there, the book that I didn't even know about. So I said, Oh, I need to look at this. And my hus my ex husband uh had this thing about me buying hardback books. But I picked it up and the I opened the book and the first page that it had opened to was my senior prom picture. And I had no idea it was in there. So I immediately, I said, I got to buy this book. And I get home and I have this hardback. And my husband goes, you know, you don't need to buy hardback. This is way too expensive. You couldn't wait for the paperback. And I'm like, let me show you why. And he goes, oh, my God. He said, and then, of course, we discussed how they have the right to use my picture without my permission. Um, so I immediately called my brother who worked at a law school. And I said, how can they use my picture without my permission? He said, and he told me all the copyright laws and all the other stuff. And I went, oh, okay, I guess I, there's nothing I can do about it. So when that book came out, and I did not see it until 77, that brought phone calls from friends and family again. People go, I was actually somewhere, I don't remember where it was. Somebody goes, you look like a, somebody who was in the book Health is Skelter. Have you read that book? This is like... 78, 79, I'm like, yeah, that was me. I said, in fact, I have, the, I have the original picture hanging on my wall still in my hall. I saw it just mm. yesterday. But I still, you know, and my current husband, you know, he knows all about it. And he, 
has no problem saying, you know, you need, he doesn't say you need to take this down or anything else. I mean, he knew that was a part of my past. And, um, you know, it um, changed me. But, you know, when I look back over the years, I don't know if Steve and I ever would have really gotten married. I think we might have with me going to college and him doing what he wanted. I think we may have stayed friends, but I don't think we ever would have gotten married. But I don't know. Maybe we would have. And if we did, I don't know to say if we would have stayed together. Because when we fought, we did have some good fights. He was a very polite young man. He never tried to force himself on me. He was very timid when it came to um, making out and stuff. It was, you know, my other girlfriends would be making out. He'd go, I don't know why they're doing that, and things like that. Oh, one of the funny things about Steve when we went to the prom, Steve forgot his wallet when out of the prom. He had to pay for something. He goes, I don't have my wallet with me. I was so mad at him. I'm like, well, <laughs> you was. I, I let him stress it out for a few minutes, and he was really stressing. And my girlfriend's nudging me. She goes, you got to stop. Because she saw, had seen me. Before we left, my dad had given me like $40. He goes, you never know. You might need some money. So finally, after Steve stressed for a little while, I said, here, I got it. And he was like, he was so embarrassed. He goes, don't you worry, I'm going to pay you back. I said, actually, you have to pay my dad back. I said, because my dad just, my dad just knew, you know, something would go wrong. That was actually the first time my dad let me stay out all night was after the prom. We went out and we went to the original McDonald's. Uh, oh, wow. For breakfast. Well, breakfast. For a soda or something, I think, we went to because he went over for breakfast then. But we stayed out all night. It's the only time my dad never got mad at me for the prom. And um, oh. we went to, after the prom, we went to a place in uh, Hollywood, Beverly Hills, called, I want to say it was called an Islander. It was a really fancy, fancy restaurant at the time. Very pricey. We were with two other couples, three other couples, and everybody chipped in together to cover our bill. I still have my prom dress from that night. You mentioned that every August is difficult for you, and, and we're talking on the 7th of August, and this 50th anniversary is coming up you know, tomorrow. So right. what, what, does, what does this evoke in you this, this time? It's, it's hard. It took me a while to even be with- I thought of that when I agreed to do this. And I thought, well, if I'm going to do it, let's do it on the 50th. It's a sad time. I think back about what could have been. Every year on the 8th of August, I always think about it. It's like, you know, as a piece of my life, change, my life changed forever that day. Even now, it, I don't cry about it, but I just, I have like a sense of sadness, a sense of um, loss as yeah. to what it, what it could have been. Um, I've got a great life. I have a phenomenal husband, two phenomenal kids, amazing, amazing grandkids. I don't know if I would have had that if Steve lived. I don't know what kind of life he would have had, but it's still something you, you, know, you always wonder every day, every year. Every August I think about things like that. You know, you think back, and like I said, there's all those what ifs I'd done this, what if I'd done that. Um, Little things like I saw the movie Once Upon a Time in uh, Hollywood the other day, and 
my son didn't tell me what it was about. It was kind of like, okay, I was so tense in my seat at the movies when um, they showed up there and I could maybe go up the driveway. And all I could think was, oh, my God, they're going to show Steve coming down. They're going to show this. And I was really, I didn't know what I would do, how I was going to take that. And then, of course, the whole thing shifted. I was like, oh. <laughs> yeah. I was able to take a breath. I mean, there, there have been some other made-for-TV movies about the whole thing, and I've seen some of them, and they're so made up. They're so Hollywood. And nothing real factual. I mean, a little bit of fact in it, but not a lot. And at times it makes me so angry. I'm like, why don't you tell the truth? Why don't you talk about what really happened? And um, did you um, ever go? Did you ever go up there? I mean, did you ever have a need to see where it happened? No, no, I yeah. never. And in fact, that's something my husband asked me that the other day when I read up the movie. She says, "So is that the way?" It was. And I said, well, I've never been there. All I've done is seen it in pictures. I've never been up there. But it was kind of interesting because my husband asked me that, you know, if it would look, that's how it looked. And I said, I don't know. Well, I'm wondering how you feel when you see things like the, the, the paroles coming up for, for the killers. Oh, I follow those closely. You know, there's a part of me who feels like, uh, especially I've been in law enforcement for years and stuff, maybe they have to this many years, maybe they have been rehabilitated. Um, they unfortunately made some very bad choices in life. You know, my motto is you make it, everybody makes a choice in life, sometimes good, sometimes bad. Unfortunately, you have to live with the consequences. I think at this point, they've been in 50, you know, almost 50 years in prison. If they're still, I mean, there's a couple of them still alive, but um, I don't think any of them would I think there's a couple that are still very staunch believers in, in it, but I don't think, um, I think I, Leslie Van Houten, I think she just was, she was very brainwashed and everything else. And I don't, I don't think she was as staunch of a person in this thing as others were. Um, yeah. I don't know. You know, it's interesting. It's interesting. I, I interviewed one of the jurors that is still living. Uh-huh. He was 20, 24 when he served on the jury. And he said they had the hardest time coming up with an appropriate sentence for Van Houten because the evidence showed that she stabbed uh, Rosemary after her death. And so they said, well, what do we sentence her with? And, but they came to the conclusion that she didn't know that she was dead at the time, so her intent was to kill. But at the same time, he said, I would release her today if it were up to me. Yeah. So, you know the juror that sentenced her in the first place. I mean, Kern Winkle, I know one just died. I think Atkins died recently, wasn't it? Yeah. I quit yeah. following the kind of, you know, when they die, I'm like, okay. And Tex so Watson, who is, who is the, for all intents and purposes, he is the murderer. Uh, I mean, he is the one that. Right, yes. He's the one that Steve. pulled the trigger. He's the one that actually killed Steve. Do you think about what you would want to say to Steve if you were ever able to see him again? I would apologize to him for slapping him. I know that. That would be the first thing. That's the bi- that's probably the biggest regret I have 
I don't think a lot of this would have affected me as deeply if we hadn't left, if I hadn't left in such anger that day. I think um, maybe I might have handled things a little bit better. I don't know. But I, I know the first thing I would do is say, I am so sorry slapping you. And I'm so sorry for not being there when you um, came by to apologize to me. For the longest time, I blamed myself. Like, well, if I had been home that night, maybe he wouldn't have gone. Or if I had gone with him, maybe we wouldn't have left at that exact moment. Maybe we would have left 10 minutes earlier. <laughs> 